What's up, world? I'm Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a podcast where my special guests and I take deep dive looks into landmark albums and projects and people celebrating a milestone year. Welcome to episode 14 of season two, and tremendous thanks to you as always for joining me. This episode is going to be incredible. I've never done an interview like this before. And it's something like a dream come true for me because it integrates two of my biggest passions, music and astrology. When I think about harmonizing these two subjects, there may be no more interesting of an artist to examine than John Coltrane. An avid student of philosophy, religion, and metaphysics, John Coltrane entwined astrology with his innovational music more transparently than any other musician I can think of. Over the course of his life, his quest for deeper knowledge of self and the universe became increasingly central to his music. Dr. Cornell West said it best when referring to Coltrane as an artistic genius and a spiritual giant. And in celebration of the iconic saxophonist's 97th birthday, we're going to explore the astrology of John Coltrane. Joining me to do so is one of the finest and most revered astrologers on the planet. I am so honored to have him here with us. Sam Reynolds is a native of Buffalo, New York, and was an astrology skeptic before becoming one of the foremost figures in his industry. An astrologer for over 25 years, he is the founder of Unlock Astrology, and writes, teaches, and consults on the subject, and serves as a board member for several astrology organizations. He has been featured in Ebony Magazine, New York Magazine, and the Netflix original Explained. And one of the things I really love about Sam is that he has been intentional about making astrology teaching accessible in the Black community through workshops and lecture series, and as a popular recurring guest of The Karen Hunter Show. Could not be more thrilled to have Reynolds as our guest here on Milestones. So let's get to it, Sam. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Angelica. This is exciting. I've been yes. seeing your work with much interest and and happy for you, things that we've talked about. And so, yeah, dreams are coming true. So this is wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Again, I, I'm such a fan of yours and I've been a fan of yours for years and I've had the pleasure and honor of working with you a little bit as your student. So to have you as a guest feels very, it feels like the next step in our friendship. So thank you for being here. I agree, here. yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, we're here to talk about John Coltrane and astrology. But before we start diving into train, I wonder if you could just really quickly just break down what is astrology? Astrology is the study of <clears throat> how things manifest in the heavens relate to, are in sync with, how things manifest on earth, and vice versa. So it becomes a way of looking at correlation. There are some who are of the view, historically and even present day, that it's less about correlation and even maybe some measure of causation that Saturn is prompting something to happen. Pluto is making something to happen. Well, just to be clear for the listener, I am of the school that it's more correlation. And I think there's something larger than earth and heaven that's compelling both, right? The heavens and the earth. Mm. So whether you want to talk about that as the divine or other various spirits or demons, 
that depends on your religious and spiritual focus. But I think astrology becomes this way by which we understand inner and outer dynamics and how they're correlating. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is beautifully said. Uh, yeah. And, and I know you love music, but we've never you know, had an opportunity to really talk about your musical tastes in particular. So I want to ask you, what is your relationship with jazz? And if you happen to remember when Coltrane sort of, you know, resonated with you. Oh, sure. Well, I have gone in, I have, I guess, like many people, I don't know if that's true for many people. I go in and out with certain music genres. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for the last few years, I've been more into soundtracks. So I'm I'm a fan of the instrumental. So I listen to a lot of instrumental music, you know, in terms of my key musician, if someone wants to know, well, like, what, what's at the heart of Sam Reynolds musically? I mean, there's a there's a list of different artists, but among them, I don't know. I, I think you know this is Prince. Prince is probably. We have and, talked about that. Prince is at the bedrock of a lot of, you know, and that's that's an interesting journey, which I won't get into right now. I mean, I'll just say that Prince scared the shit out of me. I mean, I don't know if I could say that. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> OK, FCC. OK, he scared the shit out of me when I was younger. And I think it was kind of recognizing this, the provocative aspect of the music that moves me. So going back to the other parts of the question, like, well, what about jazz? Well, I my first big exposure to jazz, because I grew up with gospel. I grew up with R&B. My mom was big into both. Jackie Wilson, big into Jackie Wilson. So well, also leads to Prince. So that's another kind of conversation. <laughs> but in college, my frat brothers were really into jazz. And so this is the late 80s. And so there's a resurfacing of jazz and jazz culture, including one of my favorite films, even though I, I would say it's not like the best made film, but it still moves me. Mo Better Blues. Oh, come on. Top. Right. right. So but, good. you know, some people, you know, I could, I could critique it to death, but it still gets me. Yes. So when so and then some of my mentors were into it and they played Acknowledgement. My mentor played Acknowledgement from Love Supreme. And he was making the argument like he's really saying Allah Supreme, Allah Supreme. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh no. Looks like it says love. <laughs> but it it was it always stayed with me because I was like, that's really interesting, like in terms of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over the years I've heard, you know, I go to jazz clubs. Newark also was a great place for me with jazz in New York, of course. So you hear some of the standards. I'm a big fan of Gregory Porter good friends with Gregory Porter, you know. My birthday oh, yeah. twin. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was supposed to say, well, i let you say that because I don't want out anybody, but his is public. Right, um, right. But yeah, I mean, I would, you know, follow Gregory because I lived in Bed-Stuy for a while. And there was a, in the, I guess this would have been early 2000s. There was a bit of a renaissance there also related to jazz. You know, different clubs that were around in Bed-Stuy and Gregory used to work at his brother's shop, his cafe. This is before he became the Gregory Porter. Right. So, you know, I, I saw the brother come up. So, you know, someone else used to go in there a lot. Why am I blanking on the Black Panther's name? What's the brother's name? 
I'm blanking on his name, who was a Black Panther. And a, and a jazz musician, too? No, not a jazz musician. Oh, oh, oh. It was just a Renaissance time. And so he used to be there as well in the, in that same shop. Yeah. In, yeah. Oh, I don't know. You, 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 once I say his name, you'll be okay. like, yeah. So Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick used to come in there a lot, too. Oh, so that was a, Black Panther. I thought you were talking you meant, about like. I know. I know. Knew Sorry. I'm sweating. Sorry, sis. I don't know. When you talk to black people, we have to. I did. I made a faux pas, y'all. Yeah. Right. You know, like which Black Panther are you talking about? You... Exactly. Anyway, with Chadwick Chadwick Boseman. Oh. So there was, wow. was so my my history with jazz is I see it as so influential into our music. Oh, also I was big into Guru. You know. Oh wow. We tend to think about the fifth dimension the age of Aquarius. That's like the quintessential astrology song. Earth, uh, wind and fire. Yeah. But even that escapes people. I don't think people really know uh, how influential astrology was to them, but yes, thank you for bringing them up as well. And so as far as I could find the earliest references I found were 1945 with the pianist and composer, Mary Lou Williams and her Zodiac suite. But then in the 60s, you have like Art Blakey with Pisces, Cannonball Adderley with Gemini, Wayne Shorter wrote Virgo, Gary Bartz, you know, folks in the in the 60s. But to your recollection, like when when did astrology kind of become influential in popular culture and in particular music? And yeah, you brought up Earth, Wind and Fire. That's that's a great example. I don't trust my musicology history to know when it became influential in music. There's always more I could learn, and you are probably more of an expert in that. I would say, you know, astrology being more accessible to people, becoming popular, comes with the horoscopes that are introduced in the late 20s. And, you know, then from there, in different iterations over the last century or so, people, you know, going or astrology becoming popular again. So a lot of people talk about, well, astrology is very popular right now. It's not only popular, but it's also very um, uh, cash heavy, right? I mean, it's a billion dollar industry going toward a trillion dollar industry. So that is newer. But, you know, Life did an article on the popularity of astrology 20 years ago or so, mm -hmm. 2000. And then it had its popularity in the 80s. And then, of course, then it's the 60s. It seems like almost every 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think as astrology, you know, especially in the 60s. See, I think astrology surfaces, speaking of religion, where younger people usually have lost faith in their traditional religions or their ethnic religions. And astrology becomes this open platform that isn't just using the language of condemnation or sin or all these all these other things so it seems to kind of call forth people especially young people who want to have fresher ideas of the world so that's you know for those musicians who kind of were coming up and we you know maurice white was once young right yeah yeah you know, we have to remember how young they were, you know, I'm always surprised because, you know, the metric for what looks young 
you know, for, you know, now compared to then, like, you know, you might look at someone in their yearbook pictures, like, how old were you here? Right. <laughs> I was 18. Damn, you like a grown man. That's like, right. You know, so they were young, though. And I yes. think some measure of that were them trying to find themselves that way. And astrology became a language for it. It's the same kind of thing now. And it's become popular. Like, there's a show. I am I am a Virgo, right, on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's not music, but, you know, mm -hmm. it's right there. Or, you know, in the 80s when, you know, uh, I think you're, yeah, you're a little younger than I am. But in the 80s, like, you know, with Roxanne, Roxanne, you know, there's there's even folks mentioning their signs. Oh, know? yeah. You know, or, and then what's interesting is that a lot of rappers are Virgos. Or, or Gemini. Gemini. Yes. Gemini. Isn't know? that fascinating? So our Mercury ruled signs. So that was another thing, you know, and. You know, people wouldn't know it. And a lot of people know their sun signs. Now people are more into like, what's your big three? And so they know their big three. Yeah. So there is an evolution that's happening. But it might be interesting to kind of look at jazz in the last 70 or 80 years and what surfaces with that in astrology. So, you know, I thought it'd be cool if we pull up his chart, pull up Coltrane's chart. But before we do, because there's there's a lot to talk about with with his chart. And, you know, there's 10 planets, 12 zodiac signs, all, you know, and so much in between. And so not to overwhelm, what do you think about if we explore his sun, moon and rising? What do you think if we talk about his big three? Well, we can focus on that. But I think one of the things that's interesting to emerge about Coltrane or any salient figure mm -hmm. is that there's something called a rotten rating created by Lois Rotten, which is basically to help astrologers and astro astral lovers in gathering information and to codify it to make sure that we have real birth times. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested, like, you know, rather than just Googling on the, the net, you know, Ryan Gosling's birthday, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I picked another Scorpio, but whatever, right? We're here. You, you, you look it up and there may be 10 different sites that are citing his birthday, but what's different from the Rodden rating, which is on astrodatabank.com, is that this birth time has usually been verified by either having a birth certificate in hand or, you know, as testimony from the person, or it's rated as DD, which is dirty data or XX birth unknown, birth mm -hmm. time unknown. So with John Coltrane, we do have a set time of 5 p.m., which gives him a Pisces rising, a moon in Aries at the very last degree of Aries, 29 degrees, and zero degrees Libra, which means he's born on the, the very first day of Libra for that year, at least. You might look up another chart, and it gives a rectified time, let's say a 438, which might make him or would make him an Aquarius rising, still with a moon in Aries, last degree, mm -hmm. and a sun in Libra. Mm -hmm. Then there are two other possibilities of charts we could entertain. There could be a chart where we go with what he says, which I guess you'll share with the audience in a little bit, that he says he's a Virgo rising, which actually would mean he would have to be a Virgo sun as well. Changes the game a little bit. 
-hmm. And then lastly, we could do a chart where it would be, we have the rectified, we have his chart. And then I forget, there's a fourth one. Help me out. And well, it was his testimony was the third. His testimony was a Virgo, right? And so mm -hmm. there's that would be a completely different one. Oh, and would it be like just the sunrise, the sunrise chart? Yeah, and that would be pretty much the sunrise chart as well. Okay. Um, so, it you know, when you have this kind of situation, it brings up a question for anybody interested in astrology, especially someone who's a former skeptic. And this is what I'm going to give as advice for people. Generally, it probably is always in someone's interest if they have the time or the extra funds to get their chart rectified. What that means is that the astrologer works backwards, looking at key events in your life in order to figure out how those events give us clues about when that person might be born. This is especially for people who don't know when they were born at all. It is a service I used to provide. I don't have as much time now to do it. Mm -hmm. I can recommend people who who do do it, but that's generally what's happened. So that 438 time, I believe, comes from a rectification from the astrologer who did a rectified aspect of the chart. I see. But here's, but here's something else to consider. The other kind of part of that, whenever someone comes to me and they have an exact time on the hour, on the half hour, I'm always suspicious, right? I'm always suspicious. So like if John Coltrane had graced me with his presence yeah, and sat down now he actually died pretty much the year i was born mm -hmm. so that would have never happened but if let's say for the sake of argument it had and he said i was born at five o'clock well i would do the chart for five o'clock but i still would be skeptical of it because more most people may not necessarily be born on the hour and half hour right but doctors nurses midwives they will kind of like you know, round it off. This person could have been born at 457, 455, mm -hmm. uh, 5 o'clock, 501, 502, mm, 5 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Or it's 520, it's 521, uh, let's say 530. For, for this professional, they may not see it as a big deal. It's like, okay, well, it's roughly around that time. But for an astrologer, minutes can mean a whole degree change. So between 5 o'clock and 438, for example, it's only mm -hmm. 22 minutes, roughly, mm -hmm. right? So in terms of 22 minutes, but it gives a completely different rising sign to have them as an Aquarius rising versus a Pisces rising. Now, I'll weigh in on what I think, but I think it's it's important for the listener, the lover of astrology, to know the nuances, nuances of it and not think it's just about the sun sign or the moon sign. The rising sign becomes very important because that gives us the arc of the person's story. How is that that's going to manifest in what way in which that shows up related to the life? Right. So let's just for for clarity, because I'm following what you're saying, uh, but for the benefit of the listener, what's a birth chart and what is the rising sign and why is the time of birth so important as it relates to the rising sign? Can you give just like a brief overview Absolutely. of that? So a birth chart is a snapshot of the heavens when you were born, focusing largely on the positions of the signs and the planets and using, like you mentioned earlier, the 10 planets that we generally use, but there's other things that we can use at that particular moment of your birth. And that birth chart, that picture, 
symbolizes the potential life trajectory of a particular person or thing. So it could be like even a dog, a cat, whatever. Mm -hmm. The sun sign, which most people know, I would say is like the genre of something, the general expectations, the broad strokes of understanding the dynamic of a person. So, you know, if we were talking about related to, well, well, let's stick to music, jazz versus trip hop versus hip hop versus any number of ways in which we could look at it, you would, in your mind, have an expectation of how the sound might go. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if someone says like, oh, it's a jazz album and you listen to it and be like, that's techno, right? <laughs> you would know like it doesn't match how we classify understand jazz versus techno. Well, it's just instrumental. Yeah, they're instrumental, but completely different forms of music. Mm -hmm. So that's the sun. Gives us the broad picture. And a lot of people think astrology is bunk because like I'm a Scorpio and she's a Scorpio and we are completely different. And so, I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, I'm not Mic like drop. her. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, that's just the broad expectations which give, gives us a window. Like, you know, like any genre of literature, like, or, or genre of music. Like, okay, the jazz that we have from, if we're talking about just jazz, the jazz that we have from, you know, John Coltrane is not like going to be like Kenny G. Right. right? They're, they're different. So, that's the, the problem with that. The moon would be more like the characters, the mood, and maybe even more the inner dimensions of someone's response to life. So the moon is probably a lot more intimate because actually even the moon is closer to us than the sun, right? Right. And so it's going to register as a correlative effect in our lives. And I notice I said correlative. It's not like the moon does affect us, but you know, it's more so your inner response and gives a sense of, you know, your response even before you even had your body, because the moon also represents the body in classical astrology. So you're like, well, what would that be? Your mom. Your mom is literally, you know, the body you borrowed until you had a body. Mm -hmm. You know, so it becomes like, you know, she becomes an instrumental figure in shaping us. Okay, then the rising sign, the rising sign is what sign is coming above the horizon when you were born. Not and that's why the time is important. And time is important because okay. that gives us literally what sign per what location we're in the world you were born. Because it is possible based on the positions of the planets, if I had those, like especially your moon or your Mercury. And then your sun, of course, as well, your inner planets. I could figure out if you told me the rising sign, where you were in the world, roughly, not like, oh, you were in Durango, Colorado. It might be more so, well, you were in the Midwest or you were in mountain time. Wow. Right? So it becomes that specific related to you. So I do think it becomes important in figuring out one's trajectory, the, the plot. Like if I were talking about this in literature, it would be the plot. We could say it would be the flow, <laughs> you know, right. in terms of how the album comes together. If we're talking about a set, what what what's the order? Because in any given day, a band can change their set order, right? Based on the feeling. So we could say that your rising sign determines the set order of your houses. 
and how things manifest in your life. I love that. That is so good. And a birth chart looks like a pie and it has these 12 slices. And yeah, I can, I can share it if you want. I would love that. Yeah. I would love um, that. And for yeah, our so listening audience, you know, who's, who may not be, be watching us, we have this circle divided into 12 slices and each slice, which we call a house, right? In right. astrology. Mm -hmm. And each house represents a particular area of life. That's right. Yeah. And so this is what we're looking at now. This is John Col Coltrane's chart. So Beautiful. it's divided like a, a slice of, of pie or a pizza into 12 slices. This here is equal slices. So whole sign houses, as we call it. And so it's kind of looking at where these planets fall in relation to these different slices of his life. And um, the rising is, is right here, right there. And that's the first house. That's the first house. And he would be two degrees and 59 minutes of Pisces rising, which is almost three degrees of Pisces. Mm. And I think it, it fits him. I think it fits some dimension of his chart. I mean, I think the other charts that we've talked about, I wouldn't say they don't fit him. But yeah, I mean, this, this like I said, it's 5 o'clock p.m. A little suspicious of that time. It could be probably a little before, a little after. But I, I think there's one factor I thought, there's a set of different factors, actually, that I thought that match him. Talk to me a little bit about what the rising represents in the actual maybe character or aura of the person and what the sign of Pisces represents and how they kind of come together and where we might find an example of that with Coltrane. So the rising sign in general, as I said, is kind of marking out the path of how one moves in the world. Another analogy I've used is that the sun is the intention we have to do something, like go to the store and get some milk. The moon would be more like the vehicle by which we do it. And then the route by which we get to the store, whether we decide to floss or be incognito, if we are indeed, <laughs> you know, that is going to be more like what determines how we get there. And so the rising sign relates to that. Some more contemporary astrologers might define the rising sign is more related to, you know, appearance or how others perceive you. I don't think that's completely wrong. I think it's more than that. It does represent your physical body. It, re it represents your playing piece, how you get involved in the game of life. And the way into the ruler of that becomes really important, the planet in charge of that sign. So that's Jupiter. And his Jupiter in this chart is retrograde in Aquarius. We'll come back to that. Okay. For Pisces, mm -hmm. yep, Pisces rising, it's another sign of Jupiter. Sagittarius is the other sign. So Jupiter actually rules two signs that are key in this chart. His ascendant and something we call the midheaven, which is where you establish your reputation, where you also establish your career, how you become known. And so Jupiter is the ruler of Sag, Sagittarius, and Pisces. So we could say that Sagittarius is more the external journey because Jupiter is how we deal with understanding in the broader sense of the word in a particular, you know, set of contexts, you know, in terms of the world or, under, you know, acquiring books and all that. So Sagittarius as what we would define as a fire 
uh, assertive sign. It's going to be like, what's out there? Adventure, blah, blah, blah. But Pisces is a water sign. And Pisces becomes much more interested in internal, imaginal, and different realms of being. You know, wow. one of the things that's fascinating, like if you take one of the archetypal Pisceans, Einstein, right? You take Albert Einstein. He didn't so much experiment to come up with a lot of his theories, but he actually went within and used his imagination. In fact, he said imagination is more important than knowledge. And so with Pisces and the Pisces rising and in the spirit of disclosure, I also have a Pisces rising not too far from John's. Mm -hmm. So you could say that makes you partial to this sort of. I've tested it with different things and I can show a chart for your your viewers and then I can explain a chart for your listeners that creates a very powerful argument for this Pisces rising and just one little thing that really kind of like swayed me a little more but going back to explain it you know just like a fish you know and actually the symbol for Pisces are two fish you know kind of moving in different ways like yin and yang yeah and I always say that there's a fish that swims closer to the surface and there's one that swims deeper into the, the waters and you know with Pisces it may be one that's kind of you know interacting with us on the surface trying to go along the grain then there's another one that's going against the grain a little one that can be a little you know feisty you know everyone wants to make Pisceans or Pisces influence people into like drug addicts and martyrs and just Overall, weak people, even though people don't describe or use those terms. I take serious offense to that, not just because I have a Pisces rising. I just don't find it true. Right. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Rihanna is totally a pushover. I really think that. <laughs> and and Erica Badu, definitely just a pushover. Right. <laughs> Mitt Romney. Yeah, he was a Steve Jobs, another pushover. Right. Right. Like said no one ever. No one. And I think, you know, I just gave examples of four. And no, it's not empirical. I think astrology relies more on being anecdotal. But I really think many Pisceans have these, you know, depths to them, which definitely is evidenced in Coltrane, you know, where he, in terms of his music, the push toward innovation with Uranus being in the same sign as his rising sign. So it's even coming toward rising which came more into effect as he went into his 20s. And the thing that gets me, he was he was just 40 years old when he passed. Yeah. That, that, you know, why I'm bringing that up, you know, one, I'm thinking about his Uranus in the, in the first house. And then we could talk, like I said, more about his Jupiter and Aquarius. You know, his level of innovation and how he kind of within went within in order to come out with all this magic, that's very Piscean to me. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't always trying to be social. In fact, you know, there's more talk of him being shy family man and kind of like, especially after 1957, you know, where he had his spiritual waking, which which is something that often will come up for a Pisces-influenced person, you know, to have this awakening. Right. I also think it's very interesting, the more I'm hearing you talk about 
Pisces being sort of the ruler of his ch the chart ruler, Jupiter being the chart ruler, Pisces being the ascendant, and then it ruling the tenth house, which you were saying is sort of your career and your your reputation. And I think about even the fact that I know we associate religion with the ninth house more, mm -hmm. but the fact that there's the St. John Coltrane African Orthodox Church, there was a church established in the early 70s devoted to the the sort of philosophy and the music and the ideas of John Coltrane. And I mean, how, I mean, that, that seems pretty Piscean as well, when we think it, about spirituality mm -hmm. and, and devotion and this church, you know, and him being sort of known, because I think we talk about train a lot in spiritual terms because of a love Supreme, because how sort of literal he was about his relationship with God and in the liner notes and the poem and the chanting and even having songs, you know, called spiritual and dear Lord. And, you know, he's, he was very sort of literal in, in a lot of ways about it and very transparent about that journey. But it's so interesting to see it kind of in the chart when we talk about Pisces and we think about spirituality and devotion and these being mm -hmm. uh, sort of main themes in these key houses in his chart. Absolutely. Well, I want to show you something. Mm -hmm. Um, let me get the right chart first, though. Hold on. So Ooh. I'm going to show the chart between John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane. And I was looking at particular events. So it's it's almost right here. So on the outer wheel, for those who can't see, I have placed Alice Coltrane's noon chart because we don't have a birth time for her. You only have a birth date. August 27th, 1937. Mm -hmm. So she was born 11 years after John. And we have John's chart in the center. And one thing that really kind of brought it home for me. Now, remember, we don't know exactly when she was born. She could have been born in the early morning. She could have been born late in the day where she's four degrees. But let's say for the sake of argument, it is closer to noon. Well, the, she's born with three degrees and 58 minutes of Virgo as her son, which is directly in his seventh house of relationship. And then we know that this was pretty much his final partner. Yeah. Now, he did have another partner who I don't find as much disgust with her. But I, I um, again, I found a birth date for her. I did not find a time. I did not find a place. They met in Philadelphia because even though John Coltrane was born in Hamlet, North Carolina, his family settled in Philadelphia. In fact, he has a house there. I mean, I think it's in disrepair in North Philly, but there's a house house that I've seen because I lived in Philadelphia and I would see. So what's interesting is Coltrane doesn't have the same connection with in his his wife's his first wife's name was Juanita Naima. Grubbs and Naima was her Islamic name because she converted to Islam. And they were married up until roughly around 65 when he married Alice. He had been with Alice before that, though. I mean, like that, I mean, I think that's common knowledge that you know he had been with her at least since 1962. And they had two children before they got married. That's not judgment. I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. think you care either. Nope. But it's kind of more like so they, you know, 1965 was a the demarcation. But for this transformation that becomes this spiritual change for Coltrane, 
you know, in 1957 and not before that, you know, in terms of battling heroin and the issues that he struggled with. You can see Naima's influence related to Islam, including in his liner notes where he said, you know, he actually used uses the line from the Fatiha, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, alhamdulillahirrahmanirrahim, to, you know, in the name of God, he doesn't say the benevolent and the, the merciful, but but basically in the one who should be praised. Naima's influence, we can see they had kissing Neptunes, kissing Saturns, meaning that their Saturns were at the same pretty much degree and sign. Whoa. Um, Pluto was conjoined to his North Node, whereas her son was conjoined to his South Node, related to spirituality, his North Node related to purpose. So her Pluto was right on that. And then again, we don't know her ascendant, so we're going to ignore that or her midheaven. But, you know, her Mars was likely squared to his ascendant. So she was a real motivator in helping him get on his path. Then he could better walk on that path with Alice. And he didn't get to walk on it very long. I think it was just the last five years of his life. You know, and it saddens me not just because he died at 40. Yeah. But, you know, that we lost such significant people in that decade you know, Martin, Malcolm at 39 or 40. Yes. You know, and I could talk more about that. It's funny you bring up Malcolm because Malcolm also has an Aries moon at 29 degrees. You're right. I didn't make that connection. Thank you. That's right. But we made that connection in the class and I used that when you were studying with me. Yes. I used that to talk about solar arc direction. I mean, that's a whole different complex issue that we're not going to get onto, you know, during your show, but you're right. That That's he had fascinating. That. Yeah. And they're both, you know, cuspy, as people would describe it, mm-hmm. cuspy sons. Malcolm was, you know, going toward the final days of Taurus, going toward Gemini. And, you know, we have here John Coltrane in the first, you know, first hour or so of, of Libra. So let's talk about that for a second, because I want to 
talk a, a little bit about how Coltrane infused astrology in his music in ways that we may or may not know. So he has a song called Equinox from the album Coltrane's Sound on the Atlantic label. It came out in 1964. It had songs like Body and Soul and Central Park West, which became a real uh, sort of Coltrane staple classic, Liberia. But Equinox, where might that title have been inspired as it pertains to his chart? Well, I mean, he's he's a full moon baby. Like, here we are recording, you know, at, I think it's Rosh Hashanah, right? And that's another, you know, point in which we're honoring, you know, this going toward this balance point at the equinox. And so he was born on the first day of that equinox. But his moon is also an equinodal sign, which is Aries. Mm. So it may have come from contemplation of his own chart. And his son, if we use this particular chart, Pisces rising, his son and Mercury end up in the eighth house where you become keenly aware of some of the following themes, you know, in your life. The idea of legacy, the aspect of loss and and losing things, of wanting to probe into the depths of things to understand a little more, especially with that Mercury. And I think he may, especially in 1964, I've been thinking a lot about the last few years of his life because he got married in 1965. He was 39. We don't know because I've, I've searched, maybe you know, I've searched for when he actually got married, the date. Dates are always important for astrologers. But everyone just recounts the same thing. He got married in 1965, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do we have a, a month, anything? But he was 39. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, you say he came out with this in 1964. Mm -hmm. His friends and people in the industry were very surprised by his death. Miles talked about it, you know, like 
No one even, I knew he looked a little gaunt, but I didn't know he was sick, right? I think he knew. I think 1964 to when he dies in 1967, because they get married in 1965, he's 39. Just realize by the time he got to, you know, months before his 41st birthday, he was dead. But I think he knew with the son, Mercury, you know, I think he always kind of was a, you know, aware that maybe he didn't have as much time as other people. Here's something so interesting to support exactly what you're saying. In the book, John Coltrane, His Life in Music by Lewis Porter, there's a section where they talk about astrology and he's doing an interview and the interviewer says, John, I know you are passionate about astrology. What is your zodiac sign? And he says, Libra. He says, I'm interested in all the sciences, metaphysics, astrology, astronomy, mental physics. Wes is a Pisces and Eric is a Gemini. And you, he asks the interviewer and he says, I'm a cancer with a moon in Taurus. And then Coltrane says, what year? He says, 1930. And right away, he starts going into the, the Chinese Zodiac. zodiac. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The Mushu. Okay. And then he says something really interesting. Coltrane says, I also have my moon in conjunction with Mars and Taurus in direct opposition with Saturn, the deadly planet in Scorpio, the sign of death. Also, I have my ascendant in my Venus in the sign of Virgo, three bad aspects for my birth chart. I won't live to be very old. And then Eric Dolphy sort of overhearing this conversation goes, have you finished bullshitting you two? Let's get, let's get there quickly. I'm dying of thirst. Right. So there's something really, really interesting about what you're saying about the sun and Mercury being in the eighth house and everything that you described that meaning and his own sort of interpretation of his chart and right. feeling that he won't you know, live very long. How, how on point was he about what he was uh, observing about his own chart? So what's fascinating about that is, you know, even if he were a Virgo rising, as he conjectured, his moon would still be in Aries, right? There's no way. I mean, it's earlier in the day. So the moon would even be roughly at 25 degrees of Aries. But he said his moon was in Taurus, which it it clearly isn't, you know, in terms of that. Now, you might say, like, well, why did he make a mistake like that? And why do you think the John, you know, Coltrane, the great John Coltrane would make a mistake? Well, one, we got computers, right? <laughs> right. And whoever calculated this chart could have calculated it wrong. It's only one degree and it would have been Taurus. One 45 minutes even. Right. Wow. And it would have been Taurus. Mm -hmm. Now, 45 minutes is not 45 minutes of astrological time is not the same as 45 minutes of clock time. But we pretty much can conjecture like he would have had to have been born maybe closer to this after six going towards seven to have a moon in Taurus. Which would still make him a Pisces rising, but it would be impossible for him to be a Virgo rising. Right. Now, why am I going into all this? Because I'm not trying to correct John Coltrane, just for the sake of correcting, it's kind of bringing home a fact. There's an author, and people can look it up. The book is called The Moment of Astrology, and it's by 
Jeffrey Cornelius. Jeffrey is spelled G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. It's the British spelling of it. It's not like the Americans. <laughs> Jeffrey Cornelius wrote a book called The Moment of Astrology. And what he brings home is that, and astrologers are uncomfortable saying this, that this is why I was talking about something working larger through astrology rather than just, you know, the astrology is just a science and it works like that. I think there's something else happening because you can get to the right answer with the wrong chart. He mm -hmm. had, we just talked about how he may have had the wrong information, but it's certainly true. Me looking at his Mercury son in the eighth house related to his Venus in a challenging position in Virgo, but he was looking at his moon going toward his Mars, going opposite to his Saturn as an indication he would not have a long life. Wasn't wrong. Mm -hmm. The math of it may have been wrong. Like the moon wasn't in Taurus. Right. But it, it, he still saw the insight and, you know, some aspect of studying astrology isn't just like, Oh, I'm the, the astrology. The chart is just a chart and reveals it. It's also what's revealed in the mind of the astrologer or the person interpreting it. Just like he would talk about in terms of music. You know, how he kind of worked with notes, you know, and sheets of sound, right? In terms of how he he would do this magic and yes. this innovation. So it's not it's it's not just the music, but also how it exists in our minds. I love that. That's amazing. Let's talk about fifth house from yeah. Coltrane Jazz on the Atlantic label, released in 1961, but it was actually recorded in late 1959, which is the year Giant Steps comes out, which is speaking of sheets of sound, this is a huge sort of revolutionary album in terms of harmony and and so many other things. So what is the fifth house? Fifth house relates to all things. Let me just get to something. I have looked at Giant Steps and here's a recording of Giant Steps with the rectified chart. Um, oh, wow. It, yeah. So we know that he did it May 4th. Ignore the, the time and the place. Mm -hmm. But this is where he recorded it. And I'm looking at his solar arc directions, which I can talk to people about or his progressions. But yeah, so I did look at that as, again, the test the charts, you know, to see to try to figure it out. Because I know how big Giant Steps was or is. You know, in fact, I think that's even played in Mo Better Blues. I think the first first piece is is played in that as no. an example. No, it's not. Mm -mm. The only Coltrane song. Well, no, there's they play Mr. Knight when they're when they're riding in the in the park. What is that? Prospect Park, I think they're yeah. on the bikes. And then they play Acknowledgement when. But, oh, OK. Yeah. OK. But well, I don't I'll think... take your word for it. You're the expert. <laughs> but anyway, fifth house relates to all things of creation, recreation, creation, procreation. So the fifth house, you know, for a man or a woman or anyone who's non-binary, this is where we are dealing with those things. Speculation, gambling, which is a form of recreation. All those relate to the fifth house. And his is ruled by the moon because, you know, if we use whole sign houses, it's going to be cancer. Moon is in Aries. And one thing I haven't talked about is his moon in Aries, which makes a lot of sense. Because people have talked about at great length the compulsivity of John Coltrane. You know, 
in terms of like even falling asleep with, you know, a horn in his mouth, you know, that he had to practice. The nickname I have, or one of the nicknames I have for the moon in Aries is Energy Junkie. Wow. They have to, as a sign of Mars, they have to expend energy. There has to be something that they're, they're doing, accomplishment. One of the challenges for someone with a moon in Aries is that they have to be careful that they don't think of themselves as just a human doing rather than a human being, right? Ooh, just I be. like that. Yeah. That they, they can get so caught up in a, in achievement or, you know, I don't think Coltrane as a Pisces rising was so much about worldly achievement, but artistic achievement. And I think that's because the power of his Venus, he was a sign of Libra, son of in Libra, Mercury in Libra, which is ruled by Venus. And his Venus is what we call angular, meaning that it's in one of the houses that has the best seats in the house, first, fourth, seventh or tenth house and it has a square or a challenging relationship to the midheaven that means venus is going to be front and center in his life related to art and even wanting it to be i don't want to say perfect as much as so solid and ready like he he spent a lot of time feeling like he needed to be ready mm -hmm. and so going back to this moon when you couple all this energy with this Venus mandate to do art and to do it well, this is what you get in this fifth house as well, along with Pluto being conjoined to this North Node, which I talked about with Naima, you know, his sense of purpose, how he's building his character. So there is a compulsiveness that comes on online for this, for him. Right. So if the fifth house represents creation, whether it's, yeah, that includes recreation, procreation, creation, and the fifth house, creation of, of music and art even. And mm -hmm. then you, you have the planet Pluto there, Pluto representing among many things, an intensity. Uh, and, a, and then you have it sitting with the North Node, which you described as your purpose in this mm -hmm. lifetime. I mean, that's really intense energy for a house that sounds like a lot of fun, right? When you think of the fifth thousand, you're thinking of creation, any of those creations that you mentioned, procreation, recreation, I mean, they're fun. It's fun to create, but then there's this sort of intensity in that house. And, and to me, I think that resonates a lot when you hear Coltrane's music. I mean, it's the most, it's so delightful, but one of the things that strikes you about his creation is how intense it is. Even if he's playing, you know, something like Fifth House, you know, that's a really fun song. There's still yeah. this burning intensity that's like, it's amazing.
So his Venus I talked about, and he has what we call a sextile to his Pluto. His Mars is also sextile to his Pluto. And the sextile is an aspect, meaning a connection between the two planets that's about 60 degrees. And the nature of a sextile is what cultivates opportunity. It's kind of like how we have friends versus intimate partners, mm -hmm. right? Ideally, you know, we're not talking about friends with benefits, just talking about <laughs> friends, right? But, you know, with friends, there's a different kind of charge. And we could say that this is a friendly aspect, which can be more creative, more intellectual, more artistic, like fun, these things. So that's one particular thing that's happening. And then, but he has a square between his Jupiter and his Mars, he has a sextile between his Jupiter and his midheaven. And then his Mars is opposite to his Saturn. So a lot comes through Mars that also relates to his Venus and his Pluto. So there's this combination of a certain lightness matched with a very powerful intensity. It's There's some, even though Coltrane Train was a performer, he was much more of a scientist related to his art. And that's why I wanted to talk briefly, at least about his Jupiter and, and Aquarius. Mm -hmm. To be a relentless experimenter, you know, Aquarius is where we also have aspects. I talk about innovation, kind of bringing things that are on the margin and trying to bring them more towards center, which was also very important for him. You know, he was throwing in ragas, studying theory, all these other things from more the perimeter in, in terms of trying to bring them more toward the center. And, you know, a square I mentioned between his Jupiter and Mars is trying to accomplish a lot, to make a lot happen. And usually in a short period of time, you know, one of the things I often say for a Mars-Jupiter contact, it's like, you know, a chicken with her head cut off. Now I know that's not the most pleasant of images. Sorry to my vegan friends. But it is this idea that, you know, you're trying to do a lot and make a lot happen on top of being this energy junkie, needing to kind of have this fix. But I think he did find it through the spiritual, as you're saying, you know, Pisces rising, Saturn, the ruler of Aquarius is in the ninth house. Jupiter, the ruler of the midheaven with Sag, dealing with spirit, philosophy, all these things. All those things were big for him. Absolutely. So it, it is it is right there in terms of what really fueled him. You might say, like, well, is there testimony related to his drug use then as well? And there's a chart. Yes. And but one of the things I'm very careful of as an astrologer, an astrologer who also has come from skepticism, which means that some measure of it informs my astrology. I never want to go into a chart like, oh, you're going to be a drug addict. Right. 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 I just want to say that if you've had that ex experience with an astrologer like that, I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. But if you had that, it's more so to talk about what are proclivities, how they manifest, I think, are still dictated by you. 
you know, so for instance, the same kind of compulsiveness that made him such a great artist, you know, and I don't, you know, I know you know, but a lot of people may not realize he went from someone who didn't get a saxophone until he was 17. Okay. He didn't get a saxophone until he was 17. I mean, that's utterly fantastic. You know, when I say fantastic, almost to the point like he had to be a prodigy. Yes. Even though he was 17, you know, we don't usually bestow that title on someone who's a teenager, but <laughs> he he clearly was. And, you know, it's testified by this, this amount of energy dedication that he had. But if that dedication doesn't find a part of a, a right outlet, uh, a suitable outlet, yeah, it could become drug use. You know, this Venus, this love of pleasure and maybe not feeling the same kind of pleasure in his music or connection, you know, or pressure may have led to drug use. And I mean, and, and that was rife in the 50s. Oh, right? yeah, to say the so, least. And with heroin. I mean, it still is a, a problem. But, you know, he he it doesn't so much this chart doesn't dictate that, oh, he's going to get on drugs. But yes, that he could if he doesn't find the right outlet. You know, right. in terms of that. and he had to find it related to spirit because that's also related to his Neptune. You know, some astrologers, let me clear, clear this. Some astrologers will talk about Neptune as a ruler of Pisces. Not going to get in that disagreement here, but Neptune is pretty prominent with his Mars, Neptune square, also square to Saturn. So there was something he was looking for. I mean, that love supreme isn't just a nice song. That was a mantra for him in terms of what he's looking for. He was looking for a certain level of transcendence. I recognized that you both have an early childhood background in the Black church, his father, grandfather being 
ministers, you being a minister as young as 12, I believe. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when we deal with Christianity and anytime there's either like a departure from it or an expansion to include other things, we know Coltrane studied Hinduism and Islam and also metaphysics and astrology. Sometimes that's not so well received by the church. So I, I wondered if you could just sort of briefly touch on what that experience was like for you. And then also sometimes in the black community, that can be, that can be hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, you know, I didn't read anything that documented his own family's reaction mm -hmm. to his, his life. I can talk about it a little bit from my experience so I used to preach against astrology. I have one of my sermons where I, I preached against astrology. And I think there is a good argument to be made against astrology from a religious point of view, and then there's a bad faith one. Okay. The good argument that one can make from a religious point of view is that if you are really focused on your eternal soul, then astrology is really just dealing with your your ephemeral body. It's it's really the story of how you're just dealing with things, you know, in the, you know, the immediate concerns that you may have, which could be tests of your faith or whatever. So for instance, if you're thinking about you know, the Saturn Mars opposition like he was born with, but let's say the Saturn in the sky opposite to your Mars, like is Saturn gonna kill me? I mean, I've had questions like that. Mm. So it becomes a real question about like is Saturn if you if you're a Christian, you believe in the one God, right? Whatever that God is for you. If you believe in that one God, then why do you think Saturn's gonna kill you? So it's a question of faith on that, that level. And and I think that's a fair argument one could make as an exploration of one's relationship to one's faith. I think the bad faith argument that happens in our community is where the very idea of astrology is put into question more related to something that is not something that could be in tandem with one's faith mm. or the ephemeral circumstances. So it just automatically goes to the devil. And I just think that's ignorant. Right. And I I think that also comes from, you know, in in much of the black, you know, sphere, if we want to call it that, you know, in terms of black life a black culture where we're doing two things that I think that are harmful to our community or ourselves. One thing is kind of like, we're trying to maintain this cohesiveness. Like we, we don't do that, honey, mm -hmm. right. As black people, we, we don't listen to rock or at one particular point, we don't listen to jazz. So there's this cloistering. The other part of it, I think it's much more, fundamental, especially as a former month fundamentalist preacher myself, was that a lot of people don't know their religion. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Like, you don't know your religion. I can give very simple examples from Christian theology. One is you may see on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you know, grandma passed today. She got her wings. You know, she's not with the Lord. Okay. She's an angel. No, she's not. In your faith, in your in your religion, angels and human beings are completely different species. 
you do not you're even higher technically than the angels. You don't become an angel when you die. That's a very simple example, but you know when people start talking about astrology, especially you know if I engage or meet you know a fundamentalist Christian, no, if they get on my nerves, I'll just ask them one question. I don't get nasty anymore. Mm-hmm. But I just ask them one question. I'm like, oh, so let me ask you a question. When wise men, the kings, you know, found Jesus using a star, why did they do that? Well, because it was, I mean, like, but what star? And why would they follow a star? Well, because they were they were astronomers. Astronomers go around following stars to people. No. They were astrologers. The first people to find Jesus were, checking my notes, astrologers. They, so as you're bad-mouthing astrology, you know, are you taking into account, like, why were there 12 disciples? Why are there 12 tribes of Israel? They had no influence from Egypt or, you know, in terms of Babylonia. You know, both places where Jews had been and both mm-hmm. places where astrology developed. And that's a happy accident. It's not an accident. Astrology is kind of also in embedded, baked into Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, what it becomes in someone's mind, if to the point where you're more fearful of Saturn than your your God, you got to ask, well, who's your God? Is it mm. Saturn or, you know, Allah or you know, Yod Hey Vov Hey? Like, who's your God? So that's where I think we can get into like the the better questions of religion with astrology. But you know, saying astrology is wholesale from the devil, like then you have a very poor conception of your God and the devil. Ooh, that's the mic drop of all mic drops. I love I love everything that you just said, and I think that that's something that Coltrane had to have understood himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is someone who would write a song called Crescent or Fifth House or Equinox and just as easily write a song uh, called The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or Compassion, Love, uh, Serenity, Dear Lord, Ascension, Amen. It So what I think I'm hearing you say, and because some people, there's always this really strange binary of a question about astrology. Is it is it science? Is it religion? Is it spirituality? I think that what I'm hearing you say is that it's, I think you're saying that it, it can be spiritual. There are some spiritual Absolutely. aspects to astrology. Well, and, and going back to Coltrane's Pisces rising, if we go with the idea he's a Pisces rising, I think, you know, making the inner journey and realizing you know, as a as a sign of Jupiter, that there are so many different, you know, people, things that you encounter on this journey, that it need not be one, but all the elements are really like you know deep abiding faith. What I've become convinced of, because I also spent some time as an atheist. So after I left the church, and my profound disappointment with my experience and understanding of the church, which is not just about the church itself. I went toward atheism. And one of the things I I called from that experience, which I think relates to the Pisces rising and, you know, with Coltrane, is that real faith 
is not the same as real dogma. Mm. In fact, dogma can become the antithesis of faith. Because, you know, Abraham as a person of faith, you know, the early prophets, they often didn't know. There were no dogmas, per se, or there were fewer dogmas than there are now. They didn't know. They were just like, well, I feel directed from the Lord to do this. You know, Abraham was willing to kind of sacrifice his own son because the Lord said so, right? That's really the critical element of faith. You're like, well, how do you distinguish faith from delusion? That's a whole different conversation. But, you know, in terms of faith, it's kind of more so recognizing that it's not just about, you know, what someone else says is right or wrong, but your relationship with the divine, mm -hmm. which is what Coltrane as we can see with this Pisces rising, Jupiter being square to Saturn in the ninth, ruling his midheaven, having this broad opposition to his Neptune. He was trying to walk a life of faith, which is not going to be beholden to any one particular dogma. Wow. And so when you are really attentive to dogma, because dogma can keep you from, you know, real faith. You know, Jesus gave that illustration with the the lesson of the Good Samaritan, right? The Samaritan was supposed to be like dirty, unclean, non-Jew person. But the person who demonstrated real faith, real sense of humanity and understanding of the divine is someone who came at the aid of the Samaritan. Mm. So when Christians kind of say like, well, no, I can't serve you because you're gay, right? I mean, even serve you water. Or you're identified, you got that flag on your T-shirt. Is that real Christian? Right. Is that real faith? Or is that like dogma? Because like this person's just asking you for water. Hello. I think it's interesting that we're talking about that on this day, the 60th anniversary of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, which was today in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know Coltrane wrote Alabama. Yep. The whole album, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Song. As a civil rights piece overall, that's today on a Libra moon, and he's a Libra. I just find it all so interesting. But well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's the power of the spirit related. It's kind of more what astrology really is saying, the cosmos is always speaking to us. It didn't just stop with the Bible. It's the nature's, it's nature's Bible. And God is speaking to us through nature, through what's happening with the planets or the goddess. I'm not preferential to any particular conception, even though, yes, I'm a practicing Muslim. I am not beholden to dogma in that way. Mm -hmm. In that sense, maybe I'm similar to Coltrane. You know? Yeah. Well, when my you path were doesn't have to, yeah, it doesn't have to be yours. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, when you were talking, you know, oh, you've got that flag on your shirt. I'm not going to give you water. What exact, what are we doing here? I think about this Christian nation that we live in, so called Christian nation that emboldens, you know, KKK members who, or extremists who think that they're using, who use Christianity and weaponize it in that way to literally bomb a church with little children inside. I mean, the, it just, it just reminded me of that when you were saying that about the cup of water and on the day where, you know, literally the 60th anniversary of that today and thinking about dogma versus versus faith yeah exactly yeah, yeah i think it's going to be important thank you and I, I think it's important for 
you know, speaking what you were speaking about in terms of the black community or community, religious communities in general, you know, I think, are we going to be people of faith or dogma? Mm-hmm. You know, and faith requires recognizing you don't have all the answers and only Allah or God has all the answers. And you are attuned or attentive to what you understand. But the key thing to understand is, you know, human mercy, human understanding. I think he was committed to finding his own way. And, you know, for those who are contemplating, you know, learning more about astrology or the quote unquote occult, listening to this and thinking about, you know, and you love Coltrane music, be committed to your path. And your path doesn't have to run antithetical to religion. I do want to drive that home. I am not anti-religious. I know there's some people who get into astrology and and get into metaphysics who become anti-religious. Right. Like, I don't deal with organized religion, which that always is a strange phrase to me, by the way, organized religion. I'm like, yeah, because organized education is much better. And, (laughs) you know, an organized government. And, I mean, if you're not committed to being an anarchist, I don't know why you're talking about organized religion singularly. Mm -hmm. Because most of human life is organized. Right, exactly. So... I would say in terms of religion, it's kind of like commit to the faith and let the dogma be like at least training wheels or launch pad into a deeper relationship with the divine, which may take you in a different way. But I think like if you feel led to like the kings who started the church for for John Coltrane, they felt led to do it and they see him as a saint. Yes. Which is interesting because John said, well, what do you want, you know, considering his background, what do you want to be? And he said a saint. And look at that manifesting in that way. 
I want to try to squeeze in two more questions for you. The fr- I got go. it. I got to get this in because this was my son's observation and I thought it was brilliant. So I want to make sure we get this in. So when we talk about Coltrane's classic quartet, and that would be with McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, and Elvin Jones, my son brought up that each one of them are a different mutable sign. So McCoy Tyner, his pianist, is a Pisces. Jimmy Garrison, his bassist, was a Sag, Sagittarius. And Elvin Jones, his drummer, was a Virgo. And I thought that was so interesting. And I wondered if, first of all, if you could sort of break down what a mutable sign is, because I think everybody knows, oh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Libra, I'm a Scorpio, I'm a Taurus. But in terms of those modalities, can you talk about what a mutable sign is? And then is there, is there something that you find interesting about his, his, his whole band being each element of a mutable sign, water? So there's water and, what, and there was a Virgo. And yes. Was, so McCoy and- Tyner, Pisces. Jimmy Garrison, Sagittarius, and Elvin Sag. Jones, okay. Virgo. The only one he was missing was air, Gemini. Right. Okay. So there are three modalities. There's the modality of cardinal, then there's fixed, and there's mutable. Cardinal, the correlation, it's not exactly this, but the correlation would be what starts a season like Aries does for spring or Libra Libra for fall or autumn, Capricorn for winter, and then Cancer for summer. So they they kick off things. They lead by, you know, making things happen. Fixed preserves and maintains. So the fixed signs would be Scorpio, Taurus, Leo, Aquarius. So the seasons have already been kicked into motion. The job for the the fixed signs are to maintain and continue to develop. They're good managers in that sense. Mm. Whereas mutable is like as the cross between cardinal and fixed. So they kind of oscillate between the two. You know, they're going at the transition point between you know, fixity into to cardinality. So for instance, we're just finishing Virgo season. And that is the, the fixed point between how we understood from Leo into Libra. So this is where we're going with the last vestiges of summer, mm-hmm. where we're getting ready for the harvest. And usually with the mutable signs, there's always some measure of, you know, changeability, flexibility. And this is actually true to form with the mutability making the argument again for his mutable rising, which is Pisces. So the mutable signs are Pisces, Virgo, Sagittarius, Gemini. So, you know, he he needed that mutability to work with in order to kind of do the work that he felt need, he needed to do to kind of create more mutability, changeability, flexibility in jazz. Wow, I love that. I'm sorry. Playing with playing with the harmonies, condensing the harmonies. Whereas fixed signs might have just been like, why just why can't we just play it as it's been, you know, you know, this piece as it's been like, you know, 
in notation? Or why can't we just play the standards? You know, he wanted to play with the standards. He wanted to mess up. He wanted to mess up the hair of the standards, right? Which is very mutable. And Cardinals like, all right, on to the next one. Let's do this. All right, that was great. This that blah blah. You know, like well, it again, cardinality is leading the way, being on the vanguard, which he had elements of because he was a cardinal son and Mercury, Libra, right. So he had that, but at the same time, he also felt committed, especially if we do have the right rising sign, especially with his Venus ruling that Libra in a mutable sign that he wanted to kind of play and, you know, change up form. Mutability is about changing form. And boy, did they do that. Right. So, I mean, and that's what's interesting, too, him being a cardinal sign, being the leader of the band, but needing this mutable supporting cast he needed the flexibility of a supporting cast to sort of go along with him on his cardinal vision this very trailblazing kind of vision could we look at it like that as well like yep. when when you're when you're that much of a trailblazer you need people who <laughs> can go with the flow he was searching 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 for those three people no one else could have materialize his vision or or i think elvin jones said something like you got to be willing to die with a motherfucker on the bandstand you know what i mean like that's what it took that kind of commitment is what it took sam this was so amazing such a treat thank you so much for your thank wonderful you. insights and this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. And I, and I and I learned a lot and we didn't get to interstellar space. I think it's hard to cover so much <laughs> in a little bit of right. time. So uh, this this was amazing. Thank you again. And where can people find you? Unlockastrology.com. On Twitter, it's unlockastrology. On Instagram, it's S as in Sam, F as in Fred Reynolds, SF Reynolds. And that's pretty much it. And I do want to say happy birthday to to Brother Coltrane. Um, yes. So, yeah, we'll, we're celebrating you still. Every day. Every day. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Milestones is a production of WBGO Studios. Theme music by Riley Glasper. Listen on your smart speaker by saying, play Milestones, celebrating the culture. And if you're enjoying this content, please be sure to subscribe and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. Check out the rest of WBGO's podcast lineup at wbgo.org slash studios. 